You know, I love all the hymns and, and the songs that we sing as a church or I've heard in other places, but every once in a while a song comes along that just kind of lifts you to heaven. And I think Behold Our God is one of those songs. It, it, it just does. I've, I've, we've sung it here. We, I've, I remember being at a conference just filled with thousands of people where I just thought the ceiling was going to come off. It was just... Uh, amazing and we something special uh, for the human soul when we lift our hearts in praise and exaltation to our King well this morning I would like you to turn to Galatians chapter 1 we're going to be looking this morning at verse 15 and the first part of verse 16 first 15 and the first part of verse 16 I want you to just hold your place there, if you would, this morning, because we are going to come back to a series that I started with us at the beginning of the year on what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. I mean, we just we use that term all the time and throw it around all the time. But what does it mean? What does it truly mean biblically? Not my opinion, not my thought, not some book that somebody wrote that I read, but what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus. And we started off by looking at what it means to be yoked together with Jesus. And we started in January. We started in January and we looked at what does it mean to be yoked together with Jesus. And we saw first and foremost that being a disciple of Jesus means that we are a follower of Jesus. He is our mentor. He is our Lord. He is our master. We have come to know him as Savior, and we want to follow him. We want to follow after him in his life, his example, and in all of his teachings. We want to be his disciple, and that at the core is what a disciple means. And we looked at Matthew chapter 11. We spent almost all of January just looking at that when Jesus said, Come to me. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And really, to be a disciple means to be yoked together with him, and we saw that in the first century that they would take oxen, and they would yoke them together. That's where the term comes from. And they would take a stronger ox and put them with a weaker ox. And those two would be yoked together. They would take an ox with great ability and one with little ability. And they would yoke them together. And so it is for us spiritually. So it is with us spiritually with Jesus. We are weak but he is strong. We have no ability to live the Christian life, but he has all the ability. To be yoked together with him means that you surrender your life to him as Lord and as Savior, and he becomes everything to you. His life becomes your life. You exchange, in essence, your life. You die to self so that you might have his life abiding and residing within you. And then in February, that was in January, then in February we took this to a whole new level where we looked at seven of the most powerful words in the New Testament. Seven words that author and, and pastor 
uh, David Platt said seven words that can radically change your life. And that is from Colossians 1.27 where it says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you. So we are yoked together with him and we need to know that he lives in us. The image of the invisible God, the author of all creation, the head of the church, and the savior of the world dwells in you. That resurrected and living power of Jesus Christ resides within you and we need to be conscious of that in everything we do, in everything that we are called to do as disciples. And we looked at this fact, Jesus did not just die to forgive you of your sins. Oh yes, he did that. But he also died to live in you. He died so that he might live in you. And it is a profound, life-altering time in a Christian's life, when you come to understand that you can't live the Christian life on your own, you can't do it. You cannot. And when a, you can almost see the proverbial light bulb go off. You can almost see it happen in their life when they realize, I can't do this on my own. In my flesh, in my own strength, in my own ingenuity, I cannot live the Christian life. It is Christ in me. And it is only Christ in you that empowers you and enables you to live a life that pleases God. Would have thought, on my own, on my own, I cannot please God. Without Jesus Christ in me, there is nothing that I can do in and of myself to please God. And the Apostle Paul says in Colossians 1 that our goal as a church is to present everyone mature in Christ. But it is so important that we understand what that term means, mature in Christ, because that is so misunderstood. To be mature in Christ doesn't mean that you know a lot of Bible verses. It doesn't mean that you're just trying to live a good life, maybe a better life than some other people are. No. To be mature in Christ means to be so in love with Jesus and to be so consumed with him that his resurrection, life in you, transforms who you are and how you live. That you are so in love with Christ that you are so consumed with Christ every day that his resurrection life in you transforms who you are and transforms how you live. Well, that brings us to this morning. That was January and February. We took a break for the missions conference in March, and then we had an Easter series the last three Sundays. And now I want to begin to look. This is an introduction. We will look at this over a number of weeks. What is the mission of a disciple? We are yoked together with Christ. Christ lives in us. What is our mission as a disciple? What is our mission as a church? In Galatians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul is describing how he received the gospel in a supernatural way, how he came to Christ. And he says in Galatians 1:11, for I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. Important statement. It's not man's gospel. Verse 12, for I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Now we come to our text this morning, verse 15 in the first part of verse 16. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that, in order that, I might preach him among the Gentiles. That phrase that I 
preach him among the Gentiles can be translated that I might preach him among the nations. That's another accurate translation of that particular phrase. So I want you to think through this with me. It's very important to what I have to share with you this morning. God set me apart before I was born, Paul says. God called me by his grace. He was pleased to reveal his son to me, and here's why. And here's why. In order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, in order that I might preach him among the nations. Our first point this morning is a disciple's mission. And what I want to do, first of all, is just give you a big picture. Just give you a big picture of what the mission of a disciple is. The overall mission of a disciple of Jesus Christ is to proclaim him and display him to our local community and to the entire world. That's our mission. Our mission is to proclaim him and to display him to our local community and communities, but not just there. We are to proclaim him. We have a responsibility to proclaim him and display him to all the peoples, to all the nations, to all the ethne, the people groups of the whole world. So we don't, here at First Baptist, we see no dichotomy between our local community and the world. We don't. We want them all for God's glory. We don't just want St. John's. We do. We don't just want... Ovid or Maple Rapids or DeWitt or whatever the community may be, we do want them for Christ, but we want the nations for Christ as well. We want them all for his glory. And I remember back when we first started hosting the Perspectives course around 2002 here at our church, and we really began to understand and define that world missions is not something we do as a church. It is who we are. It is who we are. It isn't like you see a list. Here's what First Baptist Church does. We do this ministry, this ministry, this ministry. We also do world missions. No, world missions is who we are. World missions is to permeate and infiltrate, excuse me, every ministry of our church. We'll spend more time on that in just a little bit. Now, let me try to bring this all together in this series. I want to try to put January, February, and today in one statement. A disciple of Jesus Christ is yoked together with Christ and has Christ living in him so that, so that he can be a messenger of the name and fame of Christ to all the peoples of the world. Okay? We have been yoked together with Christ. Christ is living in us, and here's why, so that you and I, all of us, can be messengers of the name and fame of Christ to all the peoples of the world. Christ is in you for his glory. Christ is in you for them. That's how it's been put before. Christ is in you for them, for all the lost people of the world. It isn't just Christ in you. I'm just going to have some great time of fellowship and devotion in my own heart and mind. No, Christ is in you for your local community. Christ is in you for the nations, for the peoples of the world. Christ wants to use every part of your life to display his glory to all the world. Christ wants to use every part of your life to display his glory to all the world. 
He wants to use your work relationships, your friendships, your marriages, and your parenting, all of it. He wants you to use it for, to display his glory to all the world. I shared with you, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, we no longer, because of the cross of Christ and the wisdom of God, we no longer see people like other people see people. We see Asian peoples. We see Arabic peoples. We see African peoples. We see Latin peoples. We see Hispanic peoples, peoples of all ethnic backgrounds. And we just don't see people. We see potential brothers and sisters in Christ who will one day be worshiping the Lamb around his throne in heaven with us. All those skin colors, all those languages, all those cultures will one day come together, those who trust Christ, those who receive him as Savior and Lord, and we want to display his glory to all the world. You may, some of you may work with Arabic peoples or with Hispanic peoples, you may work with people of all kinds of diverse backgrounds, and you are to be God's messenger of his name and fame to all the peoples. To put it simply, Christ wants to transform you into a world Christian for the display of his glory. Christ wants to transform you into a world Christian. You're always seeing the world. You see St. John's, you see your workplace, you see your family, but you also see the world and you want it. You want it for his glory, for his name, and for his fame. Well, that's the big picture of the mission of a disciple. Now let me try to bring it together in a more specific way. And our second point this morning is a threefold mission. There are a number of ways in which Bible teachers and theologians have attempted to articulate the mission of the church. That's a question that we have grappled with, or churches have grappled with for centuries. What is the clear teaching of Scripture on the mission of the church? What is it that the church is supposed to do? Now, quite a few years ago, in fact, I think it was also 2002, long time ago now, I did a series on worship here. I thought we needed to really understand because especially back in 2002 there was a lot of controversy in churches about music and about worship styles and I mean that is somewhat true today but it's really true back then and I thought we really needed to find what we're talking about and we looked at some of the great worship scenes in Scripture, Old and New Testaments. And in that series, it really struck me that if you study the Bible, especially the New Testament, the Bible clearly says that succinctly our mission is to proclaim the truth, to defend the truth, and to live the truth. That really, it just was one of those seminal times in my life where it, that, that really became clear to me. Our mission is to proclaim the truth, to defend the truth, and to live the truth. And that's what much of the teaching of Scripture is about. Now, later on, through Nine Marks ministry, and Pastor Chad mentioned Nine Marks earlier, a ministry really focused on helping churches, local churches, to follow the biblical pattern. We've used many of Nine Marks materials over the years, and they have defined what I saw, but defined it in a much more uh, 
expanded and clearer way. And so I want to give them full credit this morning. I'm going to share with you the threefold mission of the church from Nine Marks that really goes along with what I preached on all those years ago. According to their material, and I think it's very biblical, the mission of the church is to proclaim the gospel, to preserve the gospel, and to display the gospel. To proclaim the gospel, to preserve the gospel, and to display the gospel. And I want to take them one at a time because that's our mission, individually and as a church. First, the mission of the church is to proclaim the gospel. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, very familiar. You know it as the Great Commission outside of John 3:16, one of the most familiar passages in all of Scripture. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now notice, go and make disciples. We are disciples. That's what we're talking about. What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? Go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them, preaching to them, to obey everything that Christ has commanded us. Now, in light of this series, I want to say something this morning. Often we hear the Great Commission quoted as, and there's nothing wrong with this, I'm not saying this critically, as Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Personal preference here, in my understanding of the passage, don't quote it without verse 18. Okay, don't quote it. Don't quote the Great Commission without verse 18. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, therefore go and make disciples. You can't go and make disciples unless you have his authority with you. You can't do it. That is Christ in you. And I want you to know that the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth lives in me and lives in you. Therefore, go and make disciples. So Jesus charged his disciples to proclaim the gospel to all nations. That was their commission. This is the very beginning of the thrust of the church. Go. Go and make disciples of all nations. And Christ established the church to carry out this task. It is interesting to go from the Gospels to the book of Acts and see how the church has been tasked with this commission, with this responsibility. And again, what I'm about to say, I don't mean critically. There are many good parachurch ministries and organizations out there that do a good work. But I want you to know the primary responsibility for making disciples of all nations has been given to the church, the New Testament local church. Thankful for those other ministries, but the church must always be first and most important and have the greatest priority. We are the supernatural body of Christ and we have the mission of proclaiming the gospel. And throughout the New Testament, we find that preaching and teaching is of the utmost importance in the church and as the church takes the gospel to the nations, makes disciples of all nations. It is great 
when men or women meet one-on-one -on -one to fellowship and build into one another's lives. It's great when there are three men or three women uh, building into one another's lives. I'm not minimizing that, but I want you to know that biblically, the preaching and teaching of the gospel is the primary means by which we reach the nations, and it flows from and comes from the New Testament local church. So first, the mission of the church is to proclaim the gospel. Second, the mission of the church is to preserve the gospel. In 1 Timothy 3.15, the Apostle Paul says to his apprentice, Timothy, he says, if I am delayed, you will know. You will know this, Timothy. You will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. What an important verse. We are God's household. We are the church of the living God. And this was written to the specific church that Timothy was pastoring at the time, which is believed to be the church at Ephesus. And he says this church is the pillar and foundation of the truth. Folks, that's what we are. We are the pillar and foundation of the truth. Not us as individuals, but we have the pillar and foundation of the truth, the living word, Jesus Christ, and the written word of Scripture or the Bible. And we are charged, we all need to know this, we are charged with the task of preserving the true gospel throughout the ages. We are. It is our responsibility to preserve the gospel, to know what the gospel is, and then to protect it with our lives. And I mean that seriously. Because many of our brothers and sisters in Christ throughout church history have died preserving the gospel. Preserving it and protecting it from the false teachers who are always prevalent in every age and in every culture. In our last series, when we looked at the cross of Christ and the wisdom of God, I shared with you in one of those messages that we, because we have the wisdom of God and the cross of Christ, we are to be those that communicate truth and discernment to our culture. We are the proclaimers of truth and discernment and wisdom to our culture. Because if we don't do it, no one will. We speak truth, we speak wisdom into our culture, and if the church doesn't step up to the plate and do that, no one will. No one will. And many of the things that we preach and teach today are not popular. We are often criticized, even mocked, but it is our responsibility to speak the truth of the gospel no matter how the world around us reacts to it. This year, 2017, our church is 162 years old. 162 years old, and for those 162 years, by the grace of God, we are still preaching the same gospel. We have not always been a perfect church, won't be a perfect church, but by the grace of God, we are still preaching the very same gospel we were 162 years ago. And folks, in those 162 years, there have been all kinds of churches and Christian colleges 
and seminaries that have totally abandoned the word of God. So when we see we're still preaching this, the same gospel, it's not hooray for First Baptist, it's hooray for God. Hooray for the grace of God because we're still preserving, protecting, and defending that same gospel truth. Interesting passage. It's not going to be on the screen or anything. Just happened to be reading through it in my devotions a while back and from the Old Testament book of Amos. And it really struck me as I thought about these things. In Amos chapter 8, um, God, through the prophet Amos, is saying that he's going to be green bring great judgment upon Israel for their grave sins. And they were sinning horribly at, at this particular time in, in biblical history. And the Lord says to the people of Israel through Amos, he says, I am going to bring a famine upon the land, but not a famine of bread or water. I am going to bring a famine of the living word of God. And he said, that people are going to stagger from sea to sea and they're going to wander from border to border looking for the word of God and they will not find it. And it says that beautiful young women and strong young men will faint for the word of the Lord. They will thirst for the word of the Lord but they will not find it. On any people you can see the judgment of God when they no longer can see the word of God. They have lost all understanding of the living words of God, of his words to us, and in the New Testament of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Folks, our church, every true church, is to faithfully not only preach the gospel, but oppose false teaching and maintain doctrinal and moral purity among its members. We must... Guard closely of the essential truths of the faith which we've tried to articulate in our statement of faith. And within that, the gospel message itself. Sometimes churches like ours are misunderstood because we have a policy here, a policy, by the way, that is strongly, strongly recommended by the Nine Marks Ministry, and that is only people who are members of the church should be allowed to teach in the church. And sometimes people see that as a little exclusive. But the reason we do it, folks, is because when people join our church, they sign our membership application saying they are in total agreement with the statement of faith of this church, with the essential teachings of this church. When someone teaches, we need to know what they're teaching. When someone teaches, we need to know they're with us. We need to know that they're with us on these things. A couple of Sundays ago, I touched on a, a tender subject. I talked about the book and the movie, The Shack, which have been extremely popular, and why we cannot, we cannot endorse nor recommend either one of them. And the reason we can't is because they're not biblical. They go way outside the bounds of clear biblical teaching. Folks, we have to protect the gospel. It's all we've got. If we don't have the gospel, we'll close the doors because we've got nothing to proclaim. I am, I don't know about you, I'm not going to let this become some liberal church involved in all kinds of unimportant social things that they think are important. No, we're here to proclaim the gospel, but we can't proclaim it unless we protect it. And folks, with our lives, we need to protect what we teach and what we believe.
Third, third, the mission of the church is to display the gospel. So we proclaim the gospel, preserve the gospel, and we display the gospel. In Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 10, it says his intent, God's intent, was that now through the church, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. The church is to display the manifold wisdom of God to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Here's the thought. If we take Ephesians chapters 1 through 3, the Apostle Paul is describing our position in Christ and how we've come to Christ. We were once dead in our trespasses and sins, but now we are alive in Christ. Now Jews and Gentiles have come together in this entity, this living organism called the church, and we are one, excuse me, we are one new man in Christ because we are the church and the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms marvel at the church because we are displaying the manifold wisdom of God in saving us and in bringing us together as the church. How do we display the glory of God? How do we display the gospel? We'll be looking at this more as we move on in the series, but briefly this morning, we display the gospel by the holy lives of its members, of the members of the church. Now when I say holy lives, I don't mean we're holier than thou. We think we're better than everybody outside the church. That's not it at all. By holy lives, the word holy, if you're familiar with it, simply means to be set apart. It technically means and accurately means to be set apart unto God. Not just set apart, but set apart unto God. We live different lives than the world around us because of our belief in the gospel and because we want to live out the gospel truth. So it means that we are the people who know the difference between right and wrong, scripturally. And we know the difference between what is good and what is evil. God has shown us those things in scripture. And so, even as I mentioned earlier, our lives are different than people around us. And sometimes the world around us, if not often, they will misunderstand us and even mock us. But we are to be distinct in our lives as we display the truth of the gospel. We say, we live before others that we know the truth of God's word. And that's why, that's who we are and why we live the way that we do. Another very important part of displaying the gospel is that we display Holy Spirit-led unity in the midst of diversity. It means even though everyone here and in every local church comes from different backgrounds, has different preferences, has different viewpoints, we come together because we have believed the gospel. And that unity in the midst of diversity is a display of the gospel. People who otherwise would not come together are together because of Jesus. We recently spent a lot of time on this with our elders. We are currently spending a lot of time on this with our deacons, on the fact that in a church, we're not all the same. We have different backgrounds. We have different viewpoints. We have different 
preferences, but we come together because of the gospel. And yes, it's great to have sweet fellowship with another believer who's just like you, who has all the same interests that you do, but you know what really displays the gospel? You know what really displays the gospel is when you have sweet fellowship with another believer with whom you have almost nothing in common but the gospel. But the gospel. You've got people from different backgrounds. And as we expand this to look at the greater church and we see our brothers and sisters from different cultures, from different languages, having different skin colors, who have grown up in very different environments. And those of you who have traveled overseas on missions trips, you know what I'm talking about. You have this supernatural bond with them. People you've never met before, people from totally different cultures, and yet you know, you know deep in your soul, that's your brother in Christ, that's your sister in Christ. That's displaying the gospel. I love what Nine Mark says. I don't have it on the screen, but I just want to read it. The church is called to be a vivid, living color display of the gospel it preaches. The church is called to be a vivid, living color display of the gospel it preaches. So let me bring this all together this morning, and then we'll move on in, in the next few weeks, continuing to look at the mission of a disciple. Big picture. The overall mission of a disciple of Jesus Christ is to proclaim him and display him to our local community and to the entire world. A disciple of Jesus Christ is yoked together with Christ and has Christ living in him so that, so that he can be a messenger of the name and fame of Christ to all the peoples of the world. Specifically, the mission of the church is threefold. The mission of the church is to proclaim the gospel. The mission of the church is to preserve the gospel. And the mission of the church is to display the gospel. By God's grace, you are a disciple. By God's grace, we are the church. Let us be about the mission that he has given to all of us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, help us to clearly and faithfully understand and live out the mission of a disciple, the mission of the church. Give us guidance on this important subject. Help us to dig deeply into it, not only through the preaching of the word, but in our own personal Bible study times. Oh, guide us, we pray, Lord, and help us Help us to long for the glory of Christ, to spread his name and his fame to all the peoples of all the world because it's in his name that we always pray. Amen. Let's again stand to our